All right, if you have a Bible, you can go and open it to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16 together this morning. Uh, bless you. We, uh, next week, Pastor Jamie is going to start a sermon series that'll take us through a lot of the fall, a chance for him to share more of what's on his heart and mind coming out of his sabbatical. But today we have an open weekend. And as I was thinking about what to preach on, these verses here in Hebrews 4 immediately came to my mind. This summer, I reread what has been one of my favorite books for almost a decade now. It's called The Heart of Christ by a Puritan pastor named Thomas Goodwin. The whole book is is his attempt to shatter the categories that we have for who Jesus is like today. And in order to do that, he spends about two-thirds of the verse of, of the, the book unpacking one verse, Hebrews 4:15, which we're going to look at today. You see, it is, it is really easy. It is entirely possible to know a lot about someone, to know a lot about what they've done, uh, to benefit from it every day in your life, and yet actually know very little about who they are, what they're actually like. We do this with celebrities. We do this with famous athletes. We could list off every stat about them, but we have no clue. We have no clue what they're like in real life. Well, the same is true for Jesus. If you're a Christian, it can be entirely possible to know everything that he's done, to benefit from it every day, and yet not really know who he's like. To not know his heart for you in the gospel. And this passage in Hebrews 4 tells us better than than probably any other passage in the Bible who Jesus is like toward you today. That as Thomas Goodwin says, these verses take our hands, lay them upon Christ's chest, and let us feel how his heart beats toward us even now as he is in heaven. So follow as I read Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. And let's let God's word shatter the assumptions we have today about who Jesus is like. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace 
with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Three things, I'm just going to jump right in this morning. Three things that these verses show us about the heart of Jesus toward us in the gospel today. Shows us the categories it breaks, the questions it raises, and the assurance that it gives. So first, when we get to know who Jesus is like, when we see in God's word the heart of Christ toward us this moment in the gospel, it breaks our categories for who Jesus is. First, it shows us he's empathetic. See, here's the assumption we have, all right? When life is going well, Jesus is close to me. But when life isn't going well, when I'm struggling, when I'm suffering, when I'm worn out, when I want to quit, when I don't have it in me, when my marriage is on the rocks, when parenting is hard, when wounds in my story are reopened, now Jesus is far from me. It's what our hearts assume, which is why we need God's word in this passage today. Verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. You know, Tim Keller somewhere once said that what we need in our suffering isn't so much answers, but companionship. Hebrews 4 is telling you that is what Jesus Christ can give you today in the gospel. That word for empathize that the writer uses, it comes from two words, with and suffer. In the gospel, we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who chooses to co-suffer with us who when we are hurting in the places we are weak, wraps his arms around us with the gift of empathy. The counselor, Brene Brown, has this very short two-minute YouTube video on empathy. I know a lot of you have seen it before. And here's how she describes empathy. She says, empathy is this. Someone is in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom, I'm stuck, it's dark, and I'm overwhelmed. And then someone else climbs down into that hole and says, I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Hebrews 4 is saying that is the heart of Jesus to you in the gospel. That is, chapter 2 puts it in Hebrews. Jesus has been made like us in every way possible. He has today 
firsthand knowledge of what it's like to be lonely, to be misunderstood, to be rejected, to be left, to be shamed, to be lied about, to be abandoned, to feel like God isn't going to show up for you. And yet more than just being able to feel what we feel, to be able to connect the dots on it in his head, Hebrews 4 is telling us Jesus actually enters into that experience with you. The biblical scholar B.F. Westcott in the late 1800s puts it this way, the empathy of Christ, he says, is not simply the compassion of one who regards suffering from without. Someone who kind of looks at a distance and says, I'm so sorry, that sounds awful. But the feeling of one who enters into the suffering and makes it his own. In other words, Hebrews 4 is saying the heart of Jesus in the gospel moves him to always climb down into that hole with you and say, I know what it is like down here, and you are not alone. You know, some of us came in here today, and we feel stuck in a hole. And we maybe think, is Jesus embarrassed by me? Is he annoyed with how much I constantly need him? Is he rolling his eyes right now, wondering how I got into this mess again? Or is he at the top of the hole, just shouting down to me some inspirational pep talk? That's what our hearts naturally assume. The reality, the reality Hebrews 4 is saying, though, is that if you are in Christ, Jesus is at the bottom of that hole with you right now that his response to our weakness is empathy that only increases the more our pain increases. See, the Greek word for empathy here, it's also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe the yearning that a mother has for a child. And now any parent in this room would tell you that when one of their kids is hurting, the louder that that child cries, the more that your heart goes out to them. So how much more then would Jesus? The heart of Christ. It breaks the categories we have for how he responds to our suffering and how he responds to our sin. You see, here's what I assume. The bigger my sin, the more persistent I do it, the more people that it affects, now the harsher that Jesus gets with me. That, you know, he's easy on me when I do a little sin, when I do one that maybe, well, I just wasn't even really aware of what's going on. But if it's big, if I know full well what I'm doing, then he starts to get rough with me. Hebrews 4 is saying just the opposite. In the gospel, Jesus is gentle when we sin. 
verse 15, the author begins a thought that he carries almost through the entire next chapter in chapter five. And what he does is he starts comparing Jesus, our priest, to the priest in the Old Testament. And in chapter five, verse two, the author says that to be a priest in the Old Testament, you had to be able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and those who are going astray. A priest, he's saying, was supposed to respond to sin with gentleness. But what type of sin? Well, the first one we expect, the second one we don't. It says a priest was supposed to be gentle with people who sin accidentally. We think that's fair, right? But then it says he's also supposed to be gentle even to people who sin deliberately. To people who go out of their way to sin. And not just that, Hebrews takes it a step further. Hebrews 4 or 5 is saying the bigger the sin, the more gentle the priest was supposed to get. It's that word for deal gently here. It's it's a compound from two words. If you wanted just a, a fuller translation, you could say have compassion in proportion to someone's need. The bigger someone's sin, the bigger their need for grace, the more gentle a priest was supposed to be. In other words, Hebrews is saying the qualification for being a priest in the Old Testament was proportionate gentleness. That the whole point of the office was to show mercy that is greater than all of our sin. And in the gospel, Jesus fulfills that office to you. He becomes your great high priest who remains today unwaveringly gentle to anyone in Christ when they sin. Meaning if you bring your sin to Jesus today, if you come to him in faith with empty hands, Jesus will never flip a switch and suddenly be harsh, impatient, or cold to you. He'll never roll his eyes at you. He'll never tell you to get it together. He'll never scold you. He'll never shame you. He'll never rub your nose in it. He'll never use it against you later. But instead, he will be tender. He will be calm. He will be brimming with love so much that the deeper your sin, the more gentle he becomes. Now, if you don't come to him with your sin, you never get that. If you never come to Jesus with your sin, you'll get his judgment. But if you do, his response to your sin will always be gentle. It's his very heart. To be anything else would mean he would cease to be himself. So the heart of Christ, the categories it breaks, but second, the questions it raises. You know, this all sounds good. 
But if we're being honest, doesn't it sound a little too good? This can't be true. Surely this cannot be Jesus' heart to me in the gospel today. And now I, you know, I, I don't know everything that you're thinking right now. It would make preaching so much easier if I did. But there's, you know, there's a lot of questions that the heart of Christ raises in us. There's two big ones, though, actually, that in the passage here, the author of Hebrews actually anticipates for us. First question. This all sounds great, but if Jesus, as verse 14 just said, has ascended into heaven, wouldn't that make him more distant, more removed, more detached from my suffering? I mean, you have to remember what the ascension was. The ascension in Acts 1 wasn't just Jesus after his resurrection floating up into the sky. It was even more Jesus ascending to his throne as king over the whole world. It was his coronation. Now, wouldn't that make him less present, less near, less able to empathize with me? In the Netflix show, The Crown, there's an episode, season three, where the Queen of England goes and visits a town in Wales. Uh, where a, a landslide had destroyed a school, killed 116 kids, 28 adults. And, and the queen goes there and she tours the town. She sees all the, the heart-wrenching, terrible scenes. And then as she's getting ready to leave, she does something no one's ever seen her do before. She cries. Only it's not real. She faked it. In fact, she comes home and, and she's wrestling with that moment and she tells the prime minister, they deserved a display of compassion, of empathy from their queen. They got nothing. I dabbed a bone dry eye and by some miracle, no one noticed. That's how life works though, isn't it? The higher your station the greater you are, the less able you now seem to be able to climb down into the hole with other people. Steve Carell's character in The Morning Show, he plays this, this world-famous news anchor, at one point tells Jennifer Aniston's character, this is why we became rich, to isolate ourselves from the harshness of life. Well, Jesus once knew what it's like to walk down here, but now he's hit it big. He, he's king of the entire world. He doesn't even live here anymore. Can he really still empathize with me? Well, the writer of Hebrews was one step ahead of us. He says in verse 15, for, because of this reason, because of the fact that Jesus has ascended into heaven, we now do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with us. Double negative. English teacher's worst nightmare. He's trying to double underscore there 
that even though Jesus has ascended to heaven, he still is able to climb down into that hole with you today. And that in fact, he can empathize with you more now than when he lived on earth 2,000 years ago. Now, how can that be? Well, when Jesus ascended into heaven, when he ascended into glory, his capacity for joy, delight, and love shot through the roof. In that moment, if you are in Christ, his heart only swelled for you a hundred times more. Meaning, therefore, his capacity to empathize now with your weakness, to co-suffer with you, has only increased with it. You know, when you read through the Gospels in the New Testament and you see Jesus being empathetic with people, you see him climbing down into their hole and you think that is so touching. Know right now, if you are in Christ, Jesus has an even greater capacity to be empathetic with you today in the Gospel. But here's the second question that this verse raises. Not about Jesus' empathy, but his gentleness. Verse 15 says that Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but he didn't sin. Now, when we read that verse, there's a part of us that says, yeah, it feels reassuring, it feels good to know that Jesus, that he has faced the same things I've faced. But when he says that he never failed, not once, he always passed the test. He was flawless. We think, wouldn't that make him less compassionate, less gentle with me when I'm tempted in sin? I mean, that's how I act. If I'm having a really good stretch, which means I am really unaware of my sin, I start to get impatient I start to get annoyed with people. I start to get self-righteous. Why? Because I'm on the top of my game and all these other people aren't. Hebrews is saying Jesus Christ somehow manages to do the opposite. Now, how can that be true? Well, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, I think channeling this verse here, wrote this. He said, it's a silly idea that good people do not know what temptation means. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That's why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They live a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. He's the only complete realist. 
In other words, what Lewis is saying is Jesus Christ, he's the only person that's ever lived who actually knows how strong temptation really is. Meaning he's the only person who's ever lived who can actually say from the bottom of his heart, I know this isn't easy. Who when we sin can actually say to us, it is hard, isn't it? And because he never sinned himself, his heart remains fully directed outward toward you. Meaning he is incapable of self-righteousness. He is incapable of looking down his nose at us, but instead his life of constant testing, yet never sinning, only increased his capacity to be gentle with you when you're tempted and sin. So the heart of Christ toward us in the gospel, the categories it breaks, the questions it raises, lastly, the assurance that it gives. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are yet did not sin. So what do we do? Verse 16, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The author of Hebrews is saying, because this is Christ's heart toward you in the gospel that he is empathetic when we suffer, he is gentle when we sin. And his capacity for that has only grown now that he is in heaven. Go to Jesus. Draw near. Come to him in prayer. Because when you do, you can be sure by faith to always receive two things from him. First, mercy. Mercy, which in the context of the passage is referring to the forgiveness that we get in the gospel. That when we come to Jesus in the gospel, we can be sure that there is a fountain of forgiveness that will never run out. That his heart that swells towards you with love, that is ripe with affection for you, is seen most beautifully in him dying on the cross for your sins. The heart of Christ means there was nothing in heaven or on earth that could keep him off of that cross for you. That from the moment he was born, his heart beat at the thought of exhausting God's righteous judgment in his crucifixion for our sins. So come to Jesus. Because when you do, you can be sure to find mercy and grace. Grace, the writer says, to get well-timed help when we need it. Meaning when we are being tempted, 
the heart of Christ goes out to us even stronger. And his desire is to give you his endurance to face whatever you are facing. See, Jesus knows every temptation you've, you've endured, every temptation that you faced, meaning you today can be entirely honest with him. You will never shock Jesus Christ. It's as Lewis said, he's the only realist. He's the only one who actually knows evil to the fullest. You will never shock him. No thought you've had or thing you've done will ever make him go, yikes. I mean, I thought I had heard it all before, but you are messed up. Jesus' heart for you means it's completely safe to be completely vulnerable with him. It means that it is safe to struggle well. It's safe to not feel like you need to have it all together, but to be able to say, help, Jesus, help. Church family, help. It means it is safe to come to him because he will give you the grace you need to face what you can't. This is the heart, what the heart of Christ assures us of. When we fail him, he'll forgive us. When we're tempted, he'll help us. So go to Jesus. Go boldly to him who, when we suffer, is empathetic. When we sin, is gentle. Go to him who, as Thomas Goodwin puts it, says to us in the gospel, I cannot live without you. I shall never be quiet till I have you. Heaven shall not hold me, nor my father's company, for my heart is so set upon you. Let's pray. Jesus, your heart is unlike anything we ever could have imagined. We, we don't deserve it for a second. And yet in the gospel, you give it to us for eternity. Holy Spirit, help us to know the heart of Christ in heaven for us more. His heart that is merely a reflection of the heart of the Father and the Spirit for us in the gospel as well. And Spirit, change us by it. Change us through God's word by it. And change us through this sacrament that we're about to receive by it. Amen.